0: Is he great enough to overcome those challenges of tomorrow? Is he great enough to help pay the bills? Is he great enough to find a job? Is he great enough to touch your body and heal it and make it whole? Is he great enough to walk with you in the darkest of hours? That's how great our God is. Able to overcome it all. Able to forgive every sin we've ever committed. Great is our God. And we ought to leave here with that excitement and with that knowledge. And it ought to carry us through this week each and every day. You may have a care that you've brought here. You may have a concern that's just plaguing your mind. And we want to pray before we begin this morning. We want to pray for Brother Ron in the hospital, concerned with his care And his ability to be back with us and serve with us as a great pastor, as a mentor, as a lover of our souls, shall we pray together. Almighty God, we come before you. We love you. We ask that you move within our lives. And Father, many times we forget how great you are. Many times we get ourselves so focused on the cares of this world and the economy and our jobs and our children and our families and how we're going to take care of the house and how we're going to keep the cars on the road and how we're going to put gas in the gas tank. Father, right now, move amongst us in a mighty way. We lift up before you, Ron. As he lies there in that hospital, touch his soul, touch his being, encourage his heart, be with Prissy as she, as she waits and as she uh, prays and as she gathers with family, touch her. Lord, we know that just in a few days we expect to see Ron back with us, back in his place of service, back in the place that he loves so much. Encourage his heart. Now, Father, open our hearts to the receiving of your word to encourage us in a mighty way. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. There was a mountain climber who decided to uh, climb this huge mountain by himself which in itself was a little risky. But he decided that he was going to climb this mountain by himself. He had the skills. He had the ability. He was excited about it, and he took a few moments and headed up that mountain. He climbed all day. He was exhausted. Night was falling, and common sense would say that it would be the time to build a base camp and get some rest and get some food to move on. But he decided he needed to get to the top. And with all the energy he had left, he uh, trudged on and he moved forward, climbing that mountain. It got dark. And in that darkness, he slipped and he fell. He found himself in a free fall. And as he was free falling, his life passed in front of his eyes and he could just see himself meeting death. All of a sudden, there was a tug, there was a jerk on a rope, and he found himself suspended in space, hanging there in the darkness wondering what in the world he was going to do. A few moments, like many of us, he decided, well, maybe I need to pray. And he cried out, God, if you're there, help me. A few seconds later, he hears this voice, and this voice says, if I tell you what to do, will you do it? And he says, just tell me what to do, I'll do it. The voice came back, cut the rope. The guy thought a few seconds ago, cut the rope? Are you out of your mind? And he says, God, did you really, what, what do you mean? Cut the rope and trust me. The guy said, I can't do that. He says, Is there anybody else up there? <laughs> the next day, some climbers came by and saw his body hanging from this rope, frozen dead. The amazing part about it was he only was two feet from the ground. And if he would have cut the rope, he could have walked down the mountain. Many times our trust is very small. And many times our trust in one another is small. Our trust in our relationships, our trust in our parents, our trust in the situations that are around us. And when you look at the Word of God, you realize that he talks about how we can build our trust. And this morning we find that, if we're going to build our trust there in the book of 1 Samuel, we find the story about David. David, who finds himself there before King Saul, who has volunteered to be the the champion for the nation of Israel. And he's trying to plead his case here in the 17th chapter. He's trying to say, King Saul, you need to send me out to fight this giant. I may be a teenager, but I'm able to do this. And he uses his competency as his argument before the king. He says, I have been before a bear and a lion, and I've taken them down. I've protected my father's flocks. I am capable of doing this. When you look at King David, or David at this particular place in his life, you find that he was... A young man who had honed his skills in protecting his dad's father. He had the uh, trust of his dad. He was attempting to win the trust of King Saul. And he won that trust particularly as he went out and met Goliath. But he also had the trust of his soldiers who would come after him and who would follow him into battle, who would give their lives. But when I look at that, I realize that if we're going to build trust in our relationships, If we're going to build trust with our parents, if we're going to build trust with our spouse, if we're going to build trust in the workplace, we have to show some competencies. David showed that competencies, did he not? He showed those skills. He not only knew how to use the weapons of battle, but he also understood the tactics. He also understood he had the knowledge, and he also had the predictability. He could do that job. And I realized something, young people. I realized that many times we want our parents to trust us, right? If I could get my parents to trust me, it would be the greatest thing in the world. One of the things I learned from David is that he got his parents to trust him. How? He had some predictability about him. Parents, if you knew what your kids were doing, would you trust them? You know, if you had some predictability. You knew that when they said they were going to be home at 9 o'clock, they would be home at 9 o'clock. And if they would do that every single time, guess what you would do? You would be more inclined to let them go, right? It's when they say, I'll be home at 9 o'clock, and "Ah, I lost my watch. You know, I'll be home at 9 o'clock, but you don't understand. I I had to drop Susie off. Yeah, now it's 9.30. I used to have a stick. When I was in Panama, my girls were were dating. I had this, what I call my Panama stick and I had this great big pane window that overlooked the driveway and their curfew was 11 o'clock and I would stand in the window at 11 o'clock with the stick and I would stand there 1101, 1105. If it got to be eleven five, then you got to come in and see me okay nope drop them off at the corner and leave you know you need to come in and tell me why you're late and there in Panama it was well we had you know the canal went up and we had to cross the canal and we couldn't get across you know there's all kinds of justified reasons why they couldn't be there at 11 o'clock but i find that if you want the trust of your parents you want to drive the car i know how to drive the car tell them where you're going and be there tell them when you're going to come home be there do tickets don't get tickets good gracious that only makes life more complicated okay have some rules and set it up. But you know, it also trusts not only with children and with young people, with parents, but it's also trust with couples. Do you trust your mate? Do you trust them in that which is in their life? You know, many years ago, we sat down and when we got married, we thought this was just going to be the beginning of a great life together and we failed to realize that we had to learn the elements of trusting one another we had to get to know one another and it happens in our relationship that if you say you're going to put gas in the car guess what you ought to do you ought to put gas in the car because what's going to happen the next time somebody asks you to put gas in the car they probably aren't going to trust you too well right i'm going off to lowe's six hours later you show back up at home and you know these are things that we don't have to do right I shouldn't feel like I have to re- sign out when I leave the house, and I shouldn't have to report in when I get back. But, you know, these are some things that help build trust. I tell Jackie where I'm going, okay? And now you've got iPhones that she can find out where I'm going, right? She can find my phone. But the idea is we build that trust by sharing with one another and showing some skills. I need to learn some things in my home. I need to learn about relationships. You know, we're about to offer some classes in marriage. We're offering a retreat for a marriage retreat at Ridgecrest. Guys, I know you don't want to go. I know you're afraid it's going to be touchy-feely. I know they're going to make, you're going to, you feel like they're going to make you look at your spouse and say things that you don't normally say, like, I love you. You know, I said it once, that should be enough. It should cover all eternity, okay? But the idea is we need to learn about marriage. I've been married 40 years and I realize something. I learn something new all the time. And it's something that I need to practice and something I need to gain skills at, things that I know to show competency in. I need Jackie to be able to look at me and have a predictability about me that when I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it and she can count on it. I need to be able to develop that. I need to know how to run the vacuum. I know how to run, I just don't know how to meet the standard, okay? (laughs) I can't touch the standard. I vacuum, I don't move anything. I found out that you're supposed to move things. I found it's faster to move, you know, to vacuum without moving things, so that's the way I do it. But I need to learn those skills. You know, we as a church need to show competency as leaders in the church, We need to be able to know the Word of God and to understand church history and understand church polity. We need to be able to understand that we have become mentors. Many of us have been in church how many years? 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60. We ought to be able to share that knowledge. We ought to be able to mentor the new members in our church and encourage them in the faith. And those competencies build trust. We share with one another. But I find that not only does building trust begin with competency, but it builds, we build trust with contractually, making promises. Notice there in chapter 18 of 1 Samuel that Jonathan and David become great friends. And Jonathan, who is the son of the king, is dealing with this shepherd boy, and they become great pals. And they make a promise together. They make a promise and they make that covenant with one another to protect and encourage and to care for one another. They make a vow of brotherhood. They seal it. Remember when we were kids? Back in the old, old days when there was cowboys on TV, you know, the Lone Ranger and all these things, we always had those relationships between the cowboy and the Indian. They would become blood brothers. And it was always the challenge of us as kids to go out and find something sharp and cut ourselves. Now, we didn't want to cut ourselves deep, and we didn't want to cut it, you know, where we endanger ourselves. But we would do it, and we would cut ourselves, and we would put our blood together and become blood brothers. Jonathan and David become connected. They become one in their promise to one another, and they seal it with a promise. They vow and they make that vow and live by it. If we're going to build trust in our relationships, we need to keep our promises. Notice Proverbs twenty twenty five. he says, It is a trap for a man to dedicate something rashly and only later to consider his vows. How many of us have made promises to God, and no sooner did we make the promise and walk out the church door, we let it go. God, if you'll just answer this prayer, I'll tithe my money. And the first week that comes up, guess what? There's a bill that came in the mail. And you know, Lord, I'd love to tithe. And you did answer my prayer. And you did work with me. But I, I just really, you know, I need this money. And we've made promises upon pro- Lord, I'll witness for you. I'll be that witness. I'll share my faith. And just as soon as God opened the door, we went, well, Lord, you know, I'm not, I'm pretty timid. And they may be offended. And we don't want to offend. We want to bring people into the fold. So therefore we don't share. He says that we ought to build our trust by making promises and keeping them. Accepting some boundaries. Doing the things that we say that we're going to do. If you're going to go to the grocery store, go to the grocery store. You know, as husbands and wives, we made vows, remember? Remember that day? That day you stood in front of the church. You were nervous as can be. You didn't know what was going on. You were just there because she told you to be there at 730. And you showed up and you stood in your place. And the preacher stood before you, both of you looking at one another, beautiful as can be all the family and friends out there. And he goes, dearly beloved, we are gathered in this place to bring this man and this woman together in a holy matrimony. And then he turned to you and he says, will you repeat after me these words? He says, will you take, Jackie? To be your lawfully wedded wife, to live together after God's ordinances in the holy estate of matrimony. Will you love her, comfort her, protect her in sickness and in health, and richer or poorer? And then you said what? Everybody that stood before me has said the same thing I do. I do remember that day it may be a nightmare for you now but it's you know it's still there so we made a promise to one another didn't we we made a contract a legal binding contract and if you break it you're going to give away half of what you have and you can sell that 4500 square foot house and buy two matching mobile homes and it will be great it will be fantastic okay you can take the car and split it in half you know all kinds of things will happen but you made a contract with that individual and the amazing part about trust is keeping that contract keeping in it and exchanging it and many times we forget that contract now that was a formal contract wasn't it i like talking to soldiers because they had to stand and make a contract too Young soldiers come in and join the army. They have to raise their right hand and say, I do solemnly swear before God and all these witnesses that I will defend the Constitution of the United States against all foreign armies. On and on, so help me God. And then they show up to basic and they go, you know, that contract wasn't very clear. Because you see, that contract really said what? That contract that that soldier took said, I will go wherever you want me to go. I will let people shoot at me. I will sleep on the ground. I will wear funky green. I will do whatever that sergeant tells me to do. If he tells me to stay awake all night, I will. I will eat MREs. I will drink dirty water. I will do whatever the Army tells me. Now, they didn't think they made that. Okay, They didn't think that was in the contract, but that was in the fine print. And when you stood before that preacher, guess what? There were some implied tasks there too. Okay? Implied task. I will learn how to cook. And if I can't cook, my husband will find out how to cook. Or we will find the best restaurant in town that will deliver. You know, I have some implied task that I'm going to be able to talk to my spouse. I have some implied task that I'm going to care for her, which means she doesn't shop at Walmart and I shop at, you know, what's it, Joseph, Joseph Banks? You know? It says I'm going to do certain things. It also says I'm going to be connected to you in a real way. And many times we forget that promise, do we not? Many times that promise, gets, we get distracted from it. And we lose all the concept of what God has for us. Even in the church, we have a covenant. You know, we as Baptists used to have a, a Baptist covenant. I went looking in the hymn book to see if they put it in there. They didn't put it in here. But in, no, in most Baptist churches, you look in their hymn book and you flip to it, and it has a church covenant in it. And that church covenant says a lot of things like, I'll go to church, I'll read my Bible. Oh, the one that really gets bad is this I will not consume, sell, or participate in any alcoholic beverages. That's probably why we didn't put it back in the in the hymn book. You know, it got a little a little touchy there. But we make those promises, and so therefore, if we're going to build trust in our congregation, we need to have some transparency. We need to have feedback. Many of you fulfilled and filled out a survey a search for a survey for our music director right 270 people filled them out fantastic number of responses many people are afraid of feedback and many times i don't like feedback but feedback's important is it not feedback gives people the opportunity to respond and if we're going to build trust we have to be able to listen to everybody right there has to be some transparency in what we do And I think that's important. It's important as a husband and wife that you get feedback. That your spouse tells you, well, you didn't vacuum that floor the way it ought to be vacuumed. Do it again. You know? There's some feedback that we need from one another. And we shouldn't be opposed to feedback. Because what will happen is that if we don't tell people the things that are happening and the things that we're feeling, then we tend to go our own way and do our own thing. And so David here making a contract with uh, uh, Jonathan has that idea that keep your promise. Keep your promise husband and wife. Keep your promise as a church to worship and lead God. I believe that we are a church that has promised to lead as far as we possibly can with humanly capable of leading people to the throne of god helping them come face to face with god in a worship experience it's important that we have that and so therefore building trust is an important facet of what we are as a congregation notice thirdly that building trust involves communications first in first samuel the 19th chapter verse 1 through 5 you'll find that saul has decided that he wants to take john he wants to take david out Okay, David's too big of a threat to him. And so he's getting ready to kill David. And Jonathan prepares a signal with David to warn him of that impending doom. He communicates. He learns how to communicate with each other. And they develop that signal of warning. They develop that signal of communications. And I find that many times we as couples, many times we as young people, as family, we fail to communicate. And it was hard for me to understand because I sat there with many couples that would say, hey, you know, we have a problem. We just don't communicate. And when I look at couples, I go, I don't believe a word of that. They say, what are you talking about? I believe couples communicate. There's not a guy in here that went hungry this morning. Okay? Most guys get what they want when they want it. And the longer you're married, you learn those signals, right? He may grunt and groan, he may point, but he normally gets what he wants, right? He communicates. Men communicate. Men just have a failure of conversation. We don't understand conversation. I don't understand it one ounce. Let's sit out here in the screened-in porch and just talk. What are we doing? You know, my wife will come home and tell me all the great challenges of her job. And I'm sitting there the whole time doing what? I'm figuring out a plan of attack. And by the time she finishes her conversation of what went wrong and what needed to be corrected and this and that, I'm going, I tell you what to do. Do this, this, and this. She goes, You didn't hear a word I said. I went, I heard it. Here's the plan. You know, there's no more discussion on it. Just take this planning, execute it, and we won't have to have this conversation. Okay? Women want conversation, they want to connect, they want to hold your hand, they want you to be close. And we as guys go, You've got to be kidding me. You know, you've got to. And these guys right here go, I'll do that for a while. Okay? <laughs> I'll do that. They want to talk. Oh, we'll talk on the telephone. We'll send notes home. We'll text every second, you know, and the text will just go crazy. We'll do that right there, won't we? And once you get married, guys, there ain't no way. You know, I want to do something. Tell me what to do and I will do it. And they go, you ought to know that. I shouldn't have to tell you to tell me you love me. I shouldn't have to tell you to make the bed i shouldn't have to tell yes you do okay because i'm going to take it task oriented you tell me a task i can do it now if you just want to talk and just you know i i just have a hard time with that okay a hard time but if we're going to build trust guess what we got to do we got to talk we got to spend time together We've got to exchange those vows, but we've got to move beyond that exchange of vows. And I need to know what the feelings are. Because we, as we get older in marriage, do what? We assume we know. My wife assumes that she knows what I like to eat. And it used to be that there was days I would never touch a tomato, but I eat tomatoes today. You know, what I used to do, I don't necessarily do today. And we all change, right? We all change. She changes. She changes and I change, and we have to constantly do what? Adjust along the way, and it comes by talking with one another. You know, it's an important facet of our lives that we as a church talk. We've got to talk to one another. We've got to be transparent. You know, and transparency is a hard thing to let people see who you are. Miss Jane beats me up all the time. Where's Miss Jane? Miss Jane's not here. Uh-oh. where? Yeah, There's Miss Jane. Miss Jane beats me up all the time. She wants me to fill out this prayer request. And she's got me marked off for a year and a half of not filling it out. Okay? A year and a half of it. She goes, Stike, you're not doing your job. You're not filling out this prayer request. It's an element of trust. <laughs> okay? It's an element of trust. I've pastored for 40 years, and guess what? Oh, I have a hard time trusting because if you open yourself up, what do people do? There's attacks and everything else. So what most of us do is what? I just won't let you in. I won't let you in. I won't let you close. Because if you get close to me, then I'm subject to what? Getting hurt. So therefore, I can't tell you these little intimate secrets and details in my life even when it comes to prayer we won't share prayer requests because we're afraid that somebody will do what with that prayer request it will be on the nearest facebook you can imagine okay and some of you are good at facebook i enjoy reading facebook i learn all kinds of stuff on facebook now if you're my my 27 friends you don't have to worry about okay (laughs) my 27 friends i'll say i'm getting up maybe once a year you know or whatever but uh it's hard to open ourselves and trust but if we're going to build build trust within one another we've got to share and talk to one another and you got to move down that chain right you got to move down that intimacy chain to the point that you're just not talking about the weather to the point that you're just not talking about the kids and i'll guarantee you guys right now most of you spend your time doing what talking about job Talking about kids. If you've got kids, they're the center of your conversation. How are you going to kill them? Where are you going to bury them? You know, all that kind of stuff. Your kids are talking because they're talking about what they're going to do with your money when you get old. Okay? I'm not going to have any money. Okay? I plan on spending every penny of it. Okay? But the idea is we talk on the superficial level. Trust Build as we're able to move down. And we can talk about, that really hurts me. I really have trouble and struggle with that. Even when we get to the place that we can say, you know, Satan really uses that as a temptation and a wedge in my life. And he he beats me up with this. See, that's intimacy. That's oneness. And that's where the scripture talks about, and they became what? One, that we can walk together. You know, and I know as we get older, we don't have to say things, but it's important to say them. It's important to say them. This morning, you may find yourself hanging at the end of that rope, like that climber, just hanging on for dear life. And you've cried out for help, and nobody has called. You've cried out to God. He said, God, spare me, save me, rescue me from this pain that is overcoming my life. I have no answers. I have no escape. And God comes back to us and he says, if I tell you what to do, will you do it? And many times we're like that climber, right? If it works for me, Lord, (laughs) if I like it, it, if it solves my problem without commitment, I'll do it. What God wants from us this morning is what? To let go of the rope. To let go of the rope and trust him. He wants us to let go of the rope in our relationship. Some of you going, I'm not doing that. She keeps doing this to me. I am not going to respond. Every time we have a fight, she goes absolutely crazy. So I'm not going to tell her anything. Well, guess how many times she's going to go crazy. She's going to keep on going crazy till you respond. Okay? She's just waiting for you to respond. You go, well, I'm not going to do it. I refuse to be first. She's done it. She started it. I'm not doing it. What does God say? Let go of the rope. Let go of the rope and let God have control. Trust is a special gift that God gives us. It's sort of like that fine china that you have at the house. And when it breaks, it breaks into a million pieces. You know what I know about God and what I believe about God and what I trust God? That even that trust that I have between a husband and wife, if it breaks, God can bring it back together again. That trust between a, a son and a dad, if it breaks, God can bring it back together again. God is the recreator. He's the refinisher. He's the renewer. He is Jehovah God. And He can take your relationship and make it fantastic. No matter where you are, and no matter what has happened, and no matter how the devil has destroyed it, God can make it new. God can take your life. He can take your job and transform it. He can take that relationship with your mom and your dad that is so strange, you don't want to call. You don't want to talk. You don't want to see them. God can make it whole. God can make this a place, his place, that we worship God and we serve him because our eyes are on what? Winning people to Jesus Christ and lifting up the name of Jesus, in which he says what? All knees will bow. It's a great gift, this thing called trust. And when it breaks, I know the one that can repair it and make it whole. This passage of Scripture, Psalms 27. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses. But what? We trust in the name of the Lord our God we're a church that's that's us i hope that's us i hope that's what we believe that we don't care what the president may do or what the congress may do we don't care what the stock markets i do care in many ways what the stock market's going to do tomorrow morning but it's not the end okay it's not eternity It's not going to face what happens in the great beyond any more than anything else that happens in this world. I need to trust God. I can't trust my army. I can't trust the weapons, nuclear weapons. God is more powerful than than all of it. And the question this morning is, who are you trusting? Who are you trusting? I hope it's my faith is in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Do you know our God? Do you know the God that we sing about, the God we preach about, and hopefully the God we serve as a church? Shall we pray together? Father, we thank you for these moments. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the trust that we can find in you. And Father, our trust may have broken with our spouse, Our trust may even be broken with our church. Our trust may be broken in our jobs. But, Father, may we not depend upon the philosophies of this world. May we not hold to the cares and to the the principalities and the kings and the governments, but may we stand before you, trusting you, Loving you. And may you be our God. May we renew our vows. Father, there's husbands and wives here that need to turn to each other and just say it one more time. I love you. It's been hard. It's been difficult. But I love you. There's children. There's young people. There's teenagers. that need to make their way to their parents. And say, yeah, we're not talking, but... I love you I care for you there's parents here that need to find their children and say I'm sorry I'm sorry that we have this stress between us and this strain Father there's grandparents here there's members of this church that have been here 20 years that need to become mentors to the young couples that need to lead them that need to tell them, I've been there, done that, and God's got me through it all. There's deacons here, Lord, that need need to rededicate and redirect their lives. Father, as your word says, we trust you and you alone. Direct us now. As we make those decisions, may they bring honor and glory to your name. For we ask it in Christ's name, amen. Amen.